0: Welcome to The Silenced American, a podcast that pushes conversation about undocumented issues facing the community. This season, we're spending time with documented individuals, learning and dialoguing through what deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals actually means for folks across the diaspora. I'm Fabiola Madrigal.
1: And I'm Amy Dominguez. And we'll be doing our best to guide these conversations in a way that is both informative and impactful. Welcome to the Silenced American. We're here with Manny and G Shai. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's our pleasure. Also got my colleague Fabi here in studio. Hello. And we're gonna talk about DACA and
0: families. So Fabi, will you take it away? Yep. So can I start by asking you all to tell us a little bit about yourselves?
2: Uh so my name is G-Shai and I'm a DACA student here. I came at the age of four from Columbia. Um, I go to the University of Utah, I'm graduating in May, super excited, and I married Manny about a year and a half ago, and it's been the best time of my life.
3: Yeah, hi, my name's Manny, I'm actually a DACA recipient too, I'm a youth pastor, and I'm currently in school, I'm going to major in psychology with a focus in trauma. Um, Came here from Mexico at the age of seven, and and heck, I've been here ever since. And yeah, like my wife said, we've been married for a year and a half, and just trying to figure life
0: out. And they're the cutest couple ever. (laughs) Um, so to start off, um, tell us a little bit about growing up undocumented in Utah.
2: Um, well it was kinda odd. I came at the age of four and uh my family didn't have anybody that could have taken care of me at the time and of course couldn't afford child care, so I entered kindergarten at the age of four. Um and I noticed that everybody looked different than me and I noticed that I couldn't communicate things like, Hey, I need to go to the bathroom or hey, I'm hungry, or hey, I need help with this. Um so that took a while, but you know, I I remember what a what a outstanding difference it was to be from Colombia and to come here. Like I could tell that the atmosphere was different, and I could tell that people here um helped us, and that meant a lot to me.
3: Yeah, as for me, I don't think I realized what it meant to be undocumented till I hit high school, and I started looking into scholarships, and and I found out, like, oh, I I can't apply to this. Oh, I can't apply for that, you know? I mean, growing up as a, as a child, um, I remember my parents, you know, we were just afraid of police. We were afraid of getting pulled over for, for a brake light. we were afraid of talking to them. You know, we were told don't tell anyone were a document And it was like this constant fear. But I don't think it personally hit me until I realized I can't afford to go to school. What now? And I was kind of like hit that barrier of, oh, man. This is what it means to not have a social security. This is what it means to to just be affected that way.
0: And I appreciate you saying that because Manny and I actually went to the same high school. So we kind of went through our high school years together. <laughs> and so when you were also experiencing that, I was right there experiencing the same yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, that was a terrible time.
1: I wanted to ask a question, um, and you touched on it a little bit, but did both of you... Minnie, you said that you kind of understood what it meant to be undocumented when you were in high school. Jishai, what was that like for you? And also, did you always know? Did your parents tell you? Um, Did you talk about being undocumented? And if so, what were those conversations like with your families?
2: Uh, My dad was always very, very open and straightforward with us. And so I realized that probably in elementary school, Um, I remember it standing out more to me in middle school uh, because the atmosphere was kind of changing at that time, and my mom lost her job because E-Verify started to be implemented more harshly, and so she had to stop working. And we were hearing stories, right, of raids, of people, of ice showing up in workplaces, and and we never really knew what was going to happen or sometimes raiding homes, and so it all became very apparent to me right around middle school. The time that it probably really kind of striked me and I I think changed me forever was I think in eighth grade my dad had an appointment with a lawyer. My parents both had an appointment with a lawyer. And at that time it was the first time that they were openly coming out and moving forward and saying, hey, this is where we are. we're undocumented and um, we want to see what we can do about it. Because they had heard that there would be no pathway, but they were afraid to come forward and say it. So my parents didn't know what that meant. And I remember one morning before I went to school, my dad looked at me and he said, I'm going to go talk to a lawyer today. I'm going to tell them that we're undocumented. And if I don't come back, then you're not going to see me again. And I was eighth grade. So what is that, like 13, 12? Um, And I remember, holy crap, that's like, this is real, like this is it. And my brother who's six years younger than me, I thought I'm going to have to take care of him. And at that moment, it was when I decided like college isn't an option. I have to do it. You know, I have to get myself together. I have to get to a place where I can support my family from a distance if I need to. And I can take care of my brother so that he he doesn't have to worry about this like I do.
0: Wow, that's so powerful that you shared that. Um, I think we can all remember a time when we've had those difficult conversations with our parents. I mean, I know for myself, um, my dad lost his job when I was going into my senior year in high school. Um, And we had the conversation that if I showed up at our door then I shouldn't be there. And so I actually lived with my aunts for like a month just to make sure that I was safe because they were so terrified um, that ice would come and that they would take us all. So I just think it's really important and empowering to hear you say that, even though it's kind of a really sad situation. Um, so we want to thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so you both knew you were undocumented. Tell me about when you found out that DACA was an option.
3: Oh, man, I think, I mean, we were, we were in it together, you and I, Fabi, you know, um, senior, senior year of high school, and, and, and I was – up until my senior year, I was wondering, how am I going to pay for school? Like, I'm, it, like, it hit me. I'm going to graduate high school. And I think I was very frustrated because I remember I was jobless. And I tried to apply it at a taco maker place. Like, like, like it wasn't even a taco stand. It was a restaurant called Taco Maker. And they wouldn't take me because I, I wasn't documented. And I had, like, this frustration. Like, I, I cannot even work at a fast food joint because of my situation what am i going to do with the rest of my life you know and and out of nowhere you know it it gets announced uh, with obama you know like oh you know we're gonna um, basically to me is we're gonna we're gonna give you an opportunity you know we're gonna give you an opportunity to make something of yourself you know you're gonna have an opportunity to make a future you know and, and and to not just um have to endure these limitations that you've always been told you're gonna have to live with for the rest of your life and so it was honestly just a great opportunity for me
2: it was, it was actually, um, I think, a God-sent time for me uh, because of two reasons. One was that my parents had realized, you know, I was getting close to graduating from high school. I had realized it too, um, and I, I didn't have a way, like Manny said, to pay for school and to go to college. And um, I remember the time that my dad told me that too. I said, hey, Dad, I want to go to school. I want to be an engineer. And he said, that's going to be really hard for you. You're not going to have a lot of help, and I just want you to know that. Um, and so right around that time, We had actually, the past few weeks leading up to it, we had actually been planning an adoption for my uncle to adopt me. Um, We hadn't worked out any of the details yet, but we had been talking about it and it was going into action. And um, if I wasn't gonna be able to do that, at the time I was in a very, very toxic relationship um, with a guy who was an American citizen and I had plans to marry him um, to fix the situation. Did I feel good about that? No. Did I feel like I had a way out? No. Um, and so there was option one and there was option two, and we didn't like either, um, but it's what we were thinking of doing. And I remember when DACA was announced, my uncle called us and he said, hey, I don't have to adopt you anymore. You can stay with your family because my uncle lived in California and I would have had to go live with him. He said, you can stay with your family and, and now you can work. Like, it's going to be Okay. And I remember that night, I went up to my terrible boyfriend at the time, and I said, hey, I don't have to marry you anymore. And he was like, why are you so happy about that? (laughs) Um, But it was was good for me. It was an incredible blessing.
1: I just want to add that I think it's really incredible how open and honest that your family was and has been with you about being undocumented and the importance of getting DACA, because I think... A lot of families out there don't talk about it. And what I'm hearing is so refreshing for me because I think it's something that's so taboo, like, shh, we don't talk about it, you know? And your family was so open. And I think that that really kind of impacted and shaped your life, right?
2: Yeah, it really did. And my parents were open about it with me. They were incredibly direct with me, um, but they would have never said it to somebody else. They were very, very closed off about their situation because... You never know who you tell and what they're going to do with it, you know. So it was actually very, I didn't actually come forward and start being open about my situation until I completely had DACA and I was covered. Um, And I didn't start bringing my parents into the picture and talking about them like I've done articles and documentaries. And I didn't do that um, until they were safe. My parents are now in a different legal situation.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that with us. So, I mean, you've already shared that you're married. And so tell us a little bit about meeting each other.
3: You take this one. <laughs> you, you talk you, you talk about that a lot more than I do.
2: Um. Well, I grew up in a Pentecostal church in Kearns. And Manny showed up when I was like, I don't know, 16-ish. Yeah, about 16. And um, anyway, he had a sister. Uh, and I wanted to integrate her into our youth group and... I wanted to reach out to her, and so at the time I was working on a mural, and I said, hey, um, why don't you help me with this mural? And she said, my brother's an artist, why don't I introduce you to him? And totally shoved me into him, and I had no idea who he was, and I wasn't trying to talk to him, um, but we, she introduced us, and so I set up, like, times for us to meet, and I totally was talking to him, thinking, okay, he and his sister are going to show up to help me, and to my surprise, the first meeting we set up, he showed up by himself, um, <laughs> and so we ended up just painting together and getting to know each other. Um, it was really kind of interesting. I feel like we got along right away, and yeah. then we went through a period of time where we really disliked each other.
3: And it, took, then... <laughs> it took about a year, year and a half, for us to go on a first date. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was this, this motion where, oh, yeah, we're good friends, and oh, I don't like her. She's stuck up and conceited, you know? <laughs> and, I didn't and, like you either. Yeah, vice versa, you know? <laughs> and, and then eventually, I was like, hey, you know, like, I think we just hung out one after one evening at a park and I was like, She's cool. I she could be a good friend. And then from there on, like on I honestly I wasn't looking to go out with her or date her and, and neither was she. We were just looking to be friends. Um and yeah, things just kinda hit it off. Everybody was telling me like, Oh you and G Shime get you cup and I was like, Nah, she never looked at me. You know, mm. um little did I know she couldn't resist I just <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Well, you told us a little bit about how you met, but tell us a little bit about finding out that you both had DACA.
2: Um, well, when DACA came out, uh, I was talking to a lawyer before they really released what the process was going to look like, and so he had been trying to walk me through what he might expect and kind of what I should expect as far as the money that I would need to get together. And because we went to the same church together— um, Manny's mom and my mom went to church one night together and Manny's mom came forward for prayer saying that she knew the DACA had come out and she was afraid that Manny wasn't going to be able to apply for it because I think when Manny was about 12 years old um, yeah. he had to go back to Mexico for some time and you know there's that limitation that you had to be in the U.S. I believe it was like continuously since June 2012 something like that and I think she was worried about that the period of time that he was gone and um so she asked for prayer um and my mom came home that day and she said manny is also uh undocumented um why don't you send him the information for the lawyer that you're speaking to and see if she could help him so that's how i found out about him
3: i actually don't remember finding out till we actually started talking so i'm a little bit slow that way um (laughs) maybe more distracted but um yeah, I remember around that time when I was 12, I, I went to live in Mexico for a year because my dad got cancer and, Um, he got cancer and um, we lived in Florida at the time and um, we just couldn't keep up with the bills, you know, working full time. Um, my dad worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week while fighting cancer to provide for his family.
0: That's incredible.
3: Yeah. No, I am I'm. I'm, in, I'm incredibly grateful with my parents for everything they've done um and so we made the decision you know my dad said i can't i can't afford to keep the family together my sister and i went to spend a year in mexico during that time my dad he was working under a different name in florida and someone told him ice is coming to get you they found you and so within within a week we gave away we we lost we lost our home My dad literally, um, he he sent my mom and my little brother to Utah because my mom has a brother here. And my dad called all his friends and family to our house and he told them, everything that you see in here, it's yours. Take it. I just don't want to see you take any of it. And he tells us that he just locked himself in a room because he didn't have time to sell everything. He locked himself in his room and and he just heard people taking away everything, everything, you know. And we're talking about... um, Things I grew up with, you know, and so and so I, I you know, we caught we got back from Mexico, we um and we we came to Utah, and so I left my home, I left my childhood, and I came back, um, to literally start from scratch, not even a pillow to our name, and just wanted to share some background on that story, you know, um.
0: Yeah, I think we all can think of defining moments in our lives that are related to immigration. And I think you sharing that just goes to show you that like these defining moments can be really, really big and change your entire life by moving you and uprooting your family, um, which is at the core of immigration, right? Yeah. Um, So again, thank you for sharing that. Um, So because you both have DACA, what are those conversations like when you talk about DACA and you talk about your futures?
3: You know, we discussed once. Are you talking about conversations between us, right? Yes. I don't think we, we could be married yeah. if we both didn't have DACA. We talked about it before. You know, we asked. I've asked her. Well, what if, what if you had DACA, but, but I was a citizen? And she said, Well, I don't think I could marry you. I think it's important to be able to understand each other's struggles. And I don't. And I think this is such a unique and and harsh situation. I don't think you can fully understand that unless you lift it yourself. You know, so I definitely think it's allowed us to connect at a a more personal level because we talk about it to our friends, but our friends don't, even my best friends, I love them. They don't fully understand what it's like to be on my seat. You know, and so I definitely think it's allowed um, for us to go through the struggle together and share the frustrations, but to know, I, I get you. I know what you're feeling.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I I did tell Manny that. I said, you know, I don't think I could have married you if you weren't a dreamer because you know what that means for me. And um, it's cool that we met when we were young because I was 17 and Manny was 19. And so he's been with me ever since I entered college shortly after I got DACA. And, you know, and and us, we're still young, but we feel like we're growing up together. Really, we do. And so Manny's seen me. You know, he's seen... What it's meant for me, he saw when I went to the University of Utah, and I ran out of scholarships after, like, I think my first two semesters, and I called the financial aid office, and I said, what am I going to do? And they said, we don't help people like you. And who did I call? Well, I called Manny, freaking out, saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Manny was there with me when I was looking for internships, and I thought, okay, I have DACA, right? I can work. Like, this is going to be great. And I had company after company turn me down because they were like, you're not a citizen, so you can't work for us because a lot of engineering companies have some kind of defense sector, especially here in Utah, at least the good, reputable ones. Um, and so he saw me go through that, and he saw me kind of just take hits, and he understood it. You know, he really knew what that meant, and... So I just, I don't think that we could relate to each other outside of that, you know, and, and to know that we have the same limitations and in some ways share those that we're living our dreams together, knowing what we can achieve and knowing what we one day hope to achieve, assuming the situation gets all worked out.
0: Yeah, I think I can resonate with what you're saying um so contrary to what you did I actually did get married right out of high school because I was like it's this or I'm not gonna do anything with my life which was my choice right um and you're right my husband doesn't know doesn't understand my struggle and doesn't understand what I went through but the the best thing that I could have done is marry him because he's (laughs) amazing and even though he doesn't understand he like gives me the space to talk about it. So I think finding a partner that you can share that struggle with is just so, so important.
1: I want to ask, it sounds like coming from a similar background has helped a lot, but what kind of support, in what ways do you show up to support each other when setbacks like this happen? What is it that you value out of Manny? And Manny, What is it? what kind of support is it that Gishe provides that you value?
2: Oh, gosh. Um... Manny is my biggest fan. You know, he makes me feel invincible. He makes me feel like I can do anything. He, I come up to him and I say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this, you know, and he's like, do it. Go for it. Like, in my mind, you've already done it. Um, And he's encouraged me every time that, you know, I've been turned down. I remember at my first career fair, my first major career fair, I talked to Caterpillar. And I was really interested in working for them because they were um, looking to integrate a new type of um, a new type of thinking into their designs that I thought I could resonate well. And so I was talking to the recruiter and we were having a really great conversation. And he says, "Um, I really like you. I want to get you in for an interview. Are you a citizen? I said, no, but I promise I can work for you. Like, I I have a valid work permit. I had looked into them. I didn't think that they had any kind of defense sector. I didn't see a reason as to why I couldn't work for them. But they said, I can't promise you anything. it's, It's our rules. We may not contact you for an interview. And I was so torn. And I went to Manny, and Manny just said, there's something else for you. You know, you're going to run into this, but God has something else for you, and I know that, and you're going to get there, and you're going to have something that you think is unbelievable, and you're going to be blessed because you're hardworking, and you deserve this. And last July, um, I got a permanent full-time job offer for what I honestly think is the job of our dreams and the state of our dreams, Um, and I couldn't have gotten there if Manny hadn't believed in me the way he did.
0: You're too kind. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> um for me it's she helps me be what I didn't think I could be I think um my wife is such a, such a badass I mean uh, she she worked through high school you know um she worked through the um, through her career you know at the U I think she paid how much did you pay out of pocket
2: oh my goodness I think rough estimate right now I'm at at least about 30k out of pocket
3: for her degree you know, and so and so just having her in my life, you know, in high school, I used to think to myself, I'm undocumented. I can't go to college. And so then I told myself, I'm going to go to college, figure out a way. And so then I started going to college and then I was like, I can't go to college full time and study. And, 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 and I can't. Um, sorry, I can't study full time and then also work full time. Like I can't do both. It's too much. And so then I would um, do a semester on and off, you know. And then I meet this girl who's going to school full time and working full time and p- paying for her education. And I was like, if she can do it, I better do it. I better do it. <laughs> if she's doing this, it's it's definitely achievable. And so I think you know she's definitely um, set the example for me. Like, yo, it's doable. Get it done, you know. Um, and I want to do that for her. You know, I I wanna I wanna be able to achieve that. And, and then in times where I'm doubting myself and I'm like, I can't do this. I'm just I'm just not good enough. Here she comes, and she says, "You can definitely do it. You can accomplish this." And so she she definitely helps me in those moments where maybe I hit, I hit a wall, and I'm like, "It's just there's no way." She she's what makes me feel like I can be I can be that thing that I never thought I could be, and so I really appreciate that.
0: Well, leading up to your marriage, um, did you guys have tough conversations regarding immigration and DACA?
2: Yeah, um, so my sister, when she was 18, married someone who was a U.S. citizen, and so she got her citizenship. And through that, my parents were able to get their residency. Now, when my parents got their residency, I was just about to turn 21, and unfortunately, the paperwork didn't make it back in time, and I aged out, is what you would call it. So I I didn't get, um, quote-unquote, fixed under that. So I'm, I'm still a DACA recipient, and I have no other solution other than to be a DACA recipient. But I am on kind of like a wait list as to when I could apply to residency. Now, I was on one wait list because I was an unmarried child. Being a married child extended that wait list by about 7 to 10 years. And so marrying Manny meant extending an already, gosh, I'm really like, Shooting in the dark with these numbers, um, but if I because I try to forget it. <laughs> um, but if I remember correctly, it was a difference from waiting about seven years to now waiting something like um, twelve to eighteen, and so that was huge for us. We actually considered not getting married because of it, or we considered getting like married in the church but not getting married legally. Um, but Manny and I share the same values. And marriage meant something to us. It meant something spiritually, and it meant something legally. And it was something that we wanted to share. And Manny, because he cares about me, was like, I will do either way. I'll marry you in the church, or I'll marry you legally and in the church, whatever you want. And I said, I'm tired of feeling like I have to live my life a certain way because I'm undocumented. I want to marry you. I'm ready to marry you. And so let's get married, whatever consequence that brings.
3: There was also this fear um, around the time that we were getting married. Um, we were considering just getting married by the church and not and not and not through the state. What if we get deported and we're not legally married? Yeah. Then she's off to Colombia and I'm off to Mexico, and, and God knows how we're gonna make it back. So we also um, we also had this concern, like it has. We have to somehow show the paperwork, and that way, in the worst case scenario, hopefully. We won't get separated, and so that that was also something big that that um, moved our decision in that direction as well.
0: Yeah, I think you all are the cutest, <laughs> but <laughs> it really shows that you love each other so much that like you're not letting immigration statuses get in the way of it. Um, so I think that that's telling of how this immigration system separates people and puts them in these difficult decisions um, that they don't really have to make if they were just a citizen or a resident or if we had no borders. Um, So I just really value what you guys are saying. So how did your family plans change after you got married, given that you have DACA?
3: I don't think my family's plan has changed just because they're still stuck. I have Dhaka and, and I thank God for that. My sister has Dhaka and my brother's a citizen. My parents are still in the same bad situation. You know, my parents can still be deported and, and they're praying to God that my brother turns 21 in time um, to help them out. I pray to God that my brother turns in time to help them out because my dad's tired. You know, my, my dad's tired. He, you can physically see it, and, and I worry about my dad. I, I, I want to honor him, and I want to give him a break. I want to give my mom a break, but I can't. And so I can't say that my family's planned. I can't say that me being in a better place has put them in a better place yet.
0: I feel exactly the same way. Um, so I'm a legal permanent resident now, and I can't help my family. Um, give, even though I'm over 21, there's nothing I can do to change the situation that they're in. And I exactly live with that same fear. So I can't imagine what it's like for someone where you, in the situation you're in, you are the only one in your family that has DACA. So what is it like knowing that your parents are safe, but that you still are uncertain of the future, um, of your legal future, basically?
2: You know, to me, that's still a greater blessing than I could ask for. You know, growing up, I was always so, so worried about my family um, because I felt like my parents deserve rest, you know, just like Manny's are. My parents deserve to not have to worry about this. My parents are tired. Um, so it's hard. You know, they, they get to go back to Colombia now and um, they were reunited with our family after 17 years of not being able to see each other. And now they see each other, and the only one that they haven't seen is me. You know, I'm the only one that hasn't met our relatives back in Colombia because when I came at the age of four, I, I don't remember them, you know. It's all so foreign to me. Um, but it's such a blessing. You know, I I consider it such a gift because I know that I don't have to worry about my parents anymore the way that we still worry about Manny's parents. And I always tell Manny, it always feels like, a race. You know, Manny says we can't help them yet. And it's felt like I wish I could move time faster this entire time that I've been going through college because um, my prospect is pretty good as a mechanical engineer. You know, and that's one of the reasons that I chose that field, not only because I was interested in it, but because I was like, "I, I need something where I can help my family. And it always felt like, here I am, killing myself, working full-time, trying to get to this degree, and I'm never going to get there. And what if our parents get deported before I even get there? What if something happens to them before I even get there? And actually, shortly after um, my parents became permanent residency, permanent residents, my dad got diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma, um, a cancer in his stem cells. And I, I thought, God, really? <laughs> like they just got this worked out they just got to a place where okay they can start planning for their future finally because um they have the opportunity to be able to seek out better jobs and start planning for retirement now because up until now they've just been worried about keeping us above the water (laughs) and I was so upset about that because I thought gosh they're so tired and now this happens um But even then, even then they're in a better situation than I could imagine to just not have to worry about being sent back home, especially while going through this.
1: I also wanna ask because there have been, I think several of the people that have come onto the show and that we've talked to have been mixed status families, right, Um, where their parents are now residents, um, their siblings are citizens, but they're the only ones that have DACA or vice versa. It kind of switches, right? Um, And I want to know, it seems like the connection between your relationship is super powerful because you have this in common, right? I want to learn a little bit more about what that relationship is like with your siblings. Um, I understand Manny is saying that when your brother turns 21, do you think there's a pressure there for your brother? Do your siblings understand how things have been for you all? Uh, Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think... um I love my little brother you know after my wife i think he's my best friend you know um and so he definitely feels this pressure where where he knows like he's gonna help my mom and dad you know and 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 he can't mess up you know like um they're they're definitely telling him like hey keep your head straight go to school you know you, you, you you've got to make something of yourself but also don't 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 get some kind of criminal record because you're you're gonna pull us down um with with you So I've talked to him sometimes. Um, He's still learning, you know, and so um, he knows that he's going to help him. He knows that he's going to make a better life. He feels some pressure, but I had to tell him, because sometimes as a teenager, he makes dumb jokes. And and I think one time, a few weeks ago, he made a dumb joke about being an an immigrant. And I I was driving him home, and I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, how could you even say that joke? He was like, well, it was just a joke. Like, I didn't mean anything by it. And I had a talk with him. I was like, listen, like, you don't understand what you're joking about. You know, um, you, you don't fully understand what it means to be undocumented. You know, like, he's like, well, yes, I do. You know, I know that, that I have this pressure on me. And I was like, I understand that you have the pressure. But you don't have to worry about your scholarships. You don't have to worry about your job. You don't have to worry about being separated. You know, and so I still need to have, like, reality checks with him. Where, like, like don't, don't... um underappreciate what you have and and definitely don't talk down on on what your family's gone through um because like i said unless it's something that you've personally lived through it's it's kind of hard to understand the concept
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and i think in contrast our little brothers are about the same age and um, his is a little younger and they're both u.s citizens they were both born here Um, so our families are similar that way And in contrast, I think my brother has made a lot of decisions that I never would have made out of fear of what it could mean to my parents and out of pressure of, no, I have to, I have to make something really great of myself because of what my parents did for me. You know, I... I never messed with drugs or alcohol when I was underage I just I wouldn't have because I would have thought what if I get in trouble then my parents get in trouble or what if I go down this path and and I start losing focus in school and I start like I, I can't do that because if something happens to my parents I need to have a job where I can sustain and take care of my little brother he's I adore him you know I, I'm sure everybody feels this way about their siblings but from the moment he was born I was like oh my goodness, like, I have to take care of him. You know, anything that happens, I have to make sure I can take care of him. And so, and he gets into trouble with things, and I'm like, really? Like, (laughs) I never would have done that. And I think it's because just like every other regular documented teenager, he's not worried. You know, especially now that my parents have the residency, he doesn't worry about things like that like I used to.
1: Do you have conversations with your siblings about DACA and what that looks like for you? Do you think they are? Do you think they worry about you the same way that you kind of worry about them?
2: Yeah, um, I, I think I decided in high school after DACA came out. Like, I'm just gonna be open about this. I'm just gonna be completely open about this because. That's the only way that people are going to know what it really means, and that's hopefully the way that will change hearts of people towards us. And so I have conversations often with my family, you know, when things happen, when Trump got elected, when DACA got rescinded, when um, I was getting turned down for jobs, when I would be in the middle of applications and I'd be worried about what are they going to find out um what are they going to do when they find out I have DACA, you know? Are these offers going to get retracted? Things like that. I, I really keep them up to date as I go through all that. First of all, because it helps me to talk about it. It helps me to get it out of my system. Um, but they they are still a huge support for me. You know, they, they feel it. They've seen what I've gone through. Um, and so in that way, they're, they're supportive of me. And I, I do think even though my brother acts out in ways that I never would have, he's still a really good kid. And I think seeing me go through that has made him a
0: lot more aware of what this has meant for our family. And it just speaks to the fact that people make mistakes and that the reason that undocumented people are seen as criminal is because of the system that's in place, right? Um, So young kids make mistakes. They do it all the time. But we punish undocumented folks a lot greater than we punish U.S. citizens or legal permanent residents because yeah. of the immigration status that they have. Um, and just that pressure, it is to be undocumented or be a DACA recipient, have to be the perfect tokenized DACA recipient. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely.
3: Yeah, it's definitely a different reality. I think we were watching a few months ago on a news article about a congresswoman um, that got arrested in some protest, you know, for immigration or some kind of sit down. And I, I remember I looked at g and I was like, wow, I wish... I wish I could get arrested and and doing something that I love that I support and not have to worry about being deported and not have to worry about being separated, and also to you know that's to to what you're saying it's, it's it's definitely a a different different reality that you live in with the consequences that you face. Yeah.
0: I know that's something that I still I still fear even though I'm a legal permanent resident. Like if I get a felony or if something happens, like that can still be taken away. Um, so I think it's a fear that persists, and the trauma is there even beyond the legalization and just the effect that it has on people. Mm. Um, so I heard you mention the election earlier. Mm. <laughs> so let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how that felt. Oh my gosh.
3: Oh, it was unreal, unreal. I think I think it it woke us up to a harsh reality about. About the United States, I I love the United States, and I'm and I am grateful for the opportunity that we have gotten here. Um, I think we've woken up to a different reality the moment Trump got elected, and then um, you know throughout his and, and and I remember we were I think we were house sitting for her grandparents when it happened, and and I think we just sat when it was a, it was a Sunday evening, and we just sat there in silence in the living room for about an hour with tears in our eyes when we found out that coming this Tuesday, he was going to resign the program, you know? And so, and so it was just, just this, this immense amount of, of frustration where like, what do you gain from it? What do you gain from hurting us and from taking away our opportunity to make something of ourselves?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Gosh, there were so many reasons that I asked myself why, how could people vote for Trump? And, and I don't want to get into that because everybody's entitled to their own opinion, and and I can respect that. But Trump had made it very, very clear that he had no intention of keeping the DACA program. And so we knew that, that if he got elected, we knew the kind of place that we were going to end up being in. And um, I remember we were watching the election results that night, and— At the time, I lived with um, a couple who I call my grandparents, and I love them dearly. And they had been telling me all this time leading up to the election, you know, don't worry. There's no way he's going to get elected. Like, there's no no way that this is going to happen. And I'm watching the results as they come in, as they come in. And I remember at about 9 p.m., I thought, I can't anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I said goodnight to Manny. We weren't married yet, so we were in different places, and I just went to bed. Um and I woke up the next day and I saw that he had gotten elected and I was floored. I thought I don't know how this happened, but I also can't believe what's about to happen to us. Um and Manny came over the next day and we talked to my grandparents and We were trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do if push comes to shove and and we have to fear deportation here? You know, what's the way out? And I just remember us being so tired, saying we've been so worried our entire time growing up about getting deported. And then DACA came out and it gave us rest and we were able to work and we've started our future here. And now we think that it's going to get taken away. And we were just so tired. We even thought to ourselves, maybe we should just leave voluntarily. Maybe we should just give up everything that we have because that way, at least we know what's coming and we don't have to wait for the what if. Um, so gosh, the, to say the least, the election was such a hard time for us and it was shortly after we had gotten um, engaged. So I remember one thing my grandparents said and they said that the thing that hurt them most was to see that it had stripped us of the joy that we had after being engaged. He, My grandpa said he used to, I'd see you in the morning and it was like you were walking on clouds you were so excited about the wedding you were planning everything and now I see you and and you've lost it all you're so worried that you've lost it all wow
0: like I don't know what to say because that's so I don't even know the right words to say um exactly floored right Um, I think that's how I feel right now, just listening to you say that, because it really embodies the struggle of being a DACA recipient in the age of Trump. Um, So I just want to thank you again for sharing that. Um, Given that Trump was elected and then he rescinded the DACA program, tell me what that was like for you, too.
3: I was mad at everybody you know um i was i was mad I, I um i was mad at her i was so mad at her grandpa skip i i i love and admire skip it's it's her grandpa um and i was mad at the fact that he said oh he's not going to get elected and then he got elected and i was mad at the fact that he would say oh he will never do away with taka and then he did away with taka and and i know he, i i love the i love the guy i admire him but at that moment i was just so mad at anyone who said he's not going to do it and then i was mad at anyone who said oh it's all going to be okay Mm-hmm. because you don't know that you know and, and you don't know what it's like unless 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 you're there you know and 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 I'm honest you know I'm I'm a youth pastor I am Christian I was mad at the Christian Church. I believe I don't think you can talk about Trump without bringing up Christianity because the the vast majority of supporters are white Christians you know and I've always said I think I think the day could come where where the church is gonna have to give an account to people as to why. Did you support him? You know, as 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 Christians, you know, we have we have people, we have friends that we we love with all our hearts that are Trump supporters, and I just don't understand it. You know, um, and you can stop me if I'm going too far <laughs> into it. <laughs> um, they say we su- we support Trump because he has Christian values. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because of the things that he believes in, that's why we support him. But, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little bit biblical here. You know, you, you, you look at the Bible and you look and you look at what Jesus taught. Jesus said, help the widow, help the orphans, help the needy, help the broken. You know, the main way that you see a Christian is through the way they love people. Not by what they say, but what they do. And so if you take that definition and you apply it to Trump, he is not a Christian. I 100% believe that. He shows no love. He's not looking to help the broken. He's not looking to help the widows or the orphans. And so I I definitely think that as a church, um, we have some explaining to do as to why we so blindly supported someone who does not show love because love is the main characteristic for God.
2: Yeah, I was, I was incredibly angry too. Um, like Manny said, we know a lot of people that, um, contrary to what you might expect, we love and respect that did support Trump. And um, I thought about all of those people at that time, and I thought, do you know what you did to me? Do you know that when you voted for him, you were getting rid of me? Like, did you know that? Did you mean to do that? And that was so hurtful. And I was so angry. And after Trump got elected, so many people said, "Um, don't worry, he's not going to mass deport everybody. You know, that would be political suicide. He's not going to mass support everybody. And I thought, you think that's what I'm worried about? Why stay here if I can't work? Why stay here if I have to worry every day about whether or not I get to stay tomorrow? Why stay here if I graduate as an engineer and I can't work anywhere? I'm not worried about getting deported. I mean, sure, I want to stay here but I don't want to stay here if it means that I can't exercise my life. If it means that I can't live what I believe I'm meant to do.
0: And that's how I felt. I don't like Trump supporters, <laughs> which I think is a uh, telling of like the two sides you can be on. Right. Like I'm just not, I'm not going to go there. I, if you're going to be that hateful towards other people, then I don't need to spend my love on you. Um, So I think we can both sit on different opposites of this, opposites of like how you interact with them, right? So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, To go off of like mass deportation, like Trump is also doing that. Um, Amy and I work with immigrants on the daily that are facing deportation and the kids are saying bye to and we've organized rallies and events. And so I'm also angry and so I think that anger is okay in this situation and to sit in that anger and be okay with it because anger isn't forever, right? Like you turn it into something and I think it motivates you to do something different.
1: I also just wanna add, I think it's it's, it's, a, it's an interesting divide, right, because like Fabi, people that, so <laughs> I don't think I have one friend that supported Donald Trump and if I did I don't want to be friends with them. that sounds really messed <laughs> up right that sounds really messed up but it's like I can't possibly be friends with a person who so blindly chooses to go for this other person without understanding the implications that that will have on different communities right and mm-hmm. I think that's where I struggle because I'm like how could I possibly like you if you are not willing to help your neighbor or want to see your neighbor succeed? So for me, it's, it's, it's selfish, right? But I also wanna say, I think that's um, a big reason why Fabi and I wanted to start this podcast is not because we wanted to reach out to all of the Trump supporters and have them listening. If they are, I hope you're learning something. Uh, <laughs> But I wanted to ask um, if you've had those conversations with your friends and then add a second part of what would you want people that voted for Trump to know about how DACA has affected you and what you would like to see?
3: We definitely have those conversations. I mean, I think we try to educate everyone that comes into our path, you know, and and the reason why we're we're still open to... um, the reason why we're not closing ourselves off to everyone that's a Trump supporter is because I think one of the biggest problems and that, that America's facing today is division. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not open to to people that think different from us. You know, and, and in the same way, they're not, um, there's there's a huge population that's not open to immigrants. They're not open to Hispanics. They're not open to undocumented people because we're different. We have a different background, different story. And And like, hell, I want that to change. You know, but I can't, I can't, personally i feel like i can't ask for that change if i'm doing the same thing they are yeah. you know and so and so i i force myself to still be open you know sometimes you know i like i, I tell Gisha like i can't believe such such person said this but you know while while such person made an ignorant comment i also have a conversation with that person as to listen what you just said is stupid and this is why it's stupid you know and so um the reason why you know we're um to answer your, your your first questions, we definitely have a lot of conversations where we try to educate them on a different perspective, um, especially around the election time. I remember we were um, we were on a date with with a couple of friends mm-hmm. that, that supported Trump. You know, right around the elections, and they were like, "Well, um, we, we it got political. I don't think you could have a conversation and not have it get political around that time, you know." And they were telling us, you know, like we we support Trump because you know, oh, his his view on on abortion or we support Trump because because he upholds my religious freedom. And I looked at him and I was like, I wish that was all I had to worry about.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I wish I I just had to worry about all oh, my freedom of religion or my freedom of expression. Like I have to worry about the separation of my family. I have to worry about being separated from my future wife. I have to worry about not having a job. You know? And um and to them, they were astonished. They had never heard of uh of the fear of getting pulled over and getting deported like to them it was like that's completely new that makes no sense you know and he was like well how can you how can you be a christian and 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 not vote for trump and i was like how can you call yourself a christian and be okay with families being separated Mm -hmm. how can you how can you call yourself a christian and be okay with 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 the treatment or the harassment of minorities and so it was It was more than anything, us being able to give them that different perspective and, and that we've slowly been sharing with people around us. Because at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to a different reality. They, they've they grown up in, in, a more, in a more privileged manner, you know, where they don't have to worry about immigration. They don't have to worry about those things. And so uh, the reality that we face, it's like they've never even thought about it.
2: Yeah, they don't know. I think in, in that same conversation, um, part of the reason that they were so supportive of Trump, they were like, look what Obama did to us. Look at the damage Obama did. And I said, actually, Obama changed my life for the better. You say that. You say you speak negatively of him and, and you hate him. But but Manny and I are so grateful for that man, because if it wasn't for him, we couldn't work. If it wasn't for him, we'd still be afraid to get deported. Um. And so I I think that kind of shocked them. But yeah, I think as hard as it is, Manny and I make the decision to try and lead by example and to try and lead with character. And so to be able to have these conversations with these people, we have to be in a place where um, they respect who we are and they respect what we do. Uh, And they can't see what we're doing and they can't see who we are if, if we aren't a part of them, you know? um these people that don't know that they're against us right because we don't have dreamers like written across our foreheads they, they don't know what that means yet they see us and they're grateful for the way that we work with their kids they're grateful for the way that we serve in our communities um they tell us that they admire what we're doing as a couple and what we're trying to get to as we pursue our education and then they come to find out we're dreamers And Manny and I think that that's the way we reach them, you know, by saying this is actually who we are and this is actually who's being
1: persecuted. So I wanna go into the second part of my very long question about what is it that you would want people to understand about DACA? Uh, If this is a first-time listener who has no idea, who has maybe been opposed to it in the past, what takeaway would you like them to have?
2: I want them to understand um, that this is the home that we know. I came at the age of four. So for you to say that I should go back to where I was born, that you think that I deserve to go back home, is to rip away everything that I know. Um, And I would hope that when someone puts themselves in those shoes, they would understand why... We want to stay here. You know, this is our life. This is what we know. This is what we thrive in. This is what um, we've lived in. And so this is home. Another thing I would want them to understand is that, um, that everybody that applied for DACA and was approved under the DACA program was highly vetted. We had clean records. We were either in high school or had already graduated from high school. Um, We had to be here by a certain time. Um, And so we had to fit these very specific requirements that tell you that everybody that is under DACA is a participating and upright citizen, honestly. We're just trying to get our education. We're just trying to stay with our families. And most of us, like Manny and I, are trying to work to give our families a better future. Um, And lastly... I would want them to understand why our parents broke the law. I know what my parents did was illegal. I know what Manny's parents did was illegal. And I know that it's wrong to break the law. But if you understood understood why our parents did that, what they were trying to save us from, I can't imagine that you wouldn't do the same. I can't imagine that you wouldn't want to take your child out of poverty, out of danger. I don't know why you wouldn't. Especially if you knew that there was no other way out because our countries are corrupt.
3: And I would want to add, DACA is not the solution.
1: He nodded so hard that my headphones fell off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: DACA is not the solution. Everybody talks about DACA um, and DACA this, DACA that. that. Um, DACA, I don't want to be a DACA recipient for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, when, when Trump this last time, you know, to, the shut, to end the shutdown, when he said, oh, well, I'll give DACA another three years. I was like, screw that. I don't want DACA for another three years. You're not fixing my problem. Like in three years, I'm going to be in the same place. We need a permanent solution. We, we need a solution where we don't have to worry. Um, every two years, what's going to happen with me? Is my permit going to get renewed? Am I going to get another two years of peace it's not even real peace because I know that in two years I need to face the deadline again and, and, I, and, it's, and I need to face someone's discretion of saying, are you worthy of staying here or not? DACA is not the solution. We need a permanent solution that's going to allow us to live in peace and really be able to carry out our life.
0: And DACA recipients are not political pawns that you can just wave around. Amen. <laughs> that's,
3: that's, that's, I think, my second biggest frustration with not just yeah. the Republicans but also with the Democratic Party. We're just bargaining chips right now for, for Trump, for Pelosi. Like, like the, you've had opportunities to fix this, and you haven't. Why?
0: And to go back to Obama, also the deporter-in-chief. <laughs> so also the person that deported more people than the previous administration. So it just goes back to show you that they're all doing stuff that affects our families directly. And to speak to the criminalization of being an immigrant where borders were created and were man-made and being illegally being illegal in a country was also man-made and that so many people migrate across borders so also recognizing that and finding solutions to that is really really important so let's look to the future and what are your plans going forward um, now and if DACA were permanently removed?
3: Well, I think I think being in Dhaka, I think we have to live as you know, we have to plan like we're always going to be here and and at the same time prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, and so coming up, um, you know, we have big, big plans for for her career, you know, we um actually you should share that.
2: <laughs> Do you want me to? <laughs> um, yeah. Um so we're planning on moving out of state um coming this June because of this amazing job offer, um, that I was able to get. And, uh, the program that I'm going into is about a two and a half year program. And actually our permit right now only extends at this point, probably another year and a half. Um, so if something were to happen at DACA, I wouldn't even be able to make it through the program that I got hired into. Uh, but we move forward by faith as if we're going to stay here, and we're going to keep going under this program if we have to, but ideally with um, with a different solution. And, and yet we dream about what we'll get to do um, should we have a pathway to citizenship, because right now we can't leave the country at all. We can't visit our families in Mexico and Colombia, and we can't see the world outside of the U.S., and really we'd love to um, – we were talking about a few, um, we were talking about it a few months ago, actually. And uh, we thought about making a bucket list for if and when, you know, if and when we get to leave the country, we want to visit here, we want to visit there. And I told Manny, let's just start saving up for it. Maybe it'll be 20 years before we can even think about leaving the US. But but let's start saving up for it. So that when we can leave the US, we can we can see our families, we can explore the world. I feel like so many people take that for granted you know they say like oh I want to travel and I want to go do this and I want to go do that and I'm like you don't know what that means to even think about the fact that you can do that I literally can't see the world outside of the U.S. and I find that to be a little depressing
3: as for me um, I'm going to school I'm finishing my degree you know I thought it was impossible screw that you know it's going to get done one way or another um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my master's in psychology and I'm gonna focus in trauma because I want to help people that have dealt with any kind of abuse. You know that's 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 my dream. I and, and I want to see my grandparents. I, I I pray to God that I get to see my grandparents again before they die. My um something that's that's heavy on my heart. when my grandpa died. Um, my dad didn't get to say goodbye. My dad didn't get to go to his funeral. All my dad got. He got, um, I put on a picture on the computer and music in the background and my dad sat in the room by himself and cried. And, and that's just a harsh reality of not being able to go to your home place to bury your own parent. And so I, I, I pray to God that I'm, that I'm able to see my grandparents before, before they go away.
0: And I'm sure that's something that a lot of immigrants would like to have, including your parents and my parents and parents across the country, um, That they would like to see their parents and their grandparents and hug them at least one last time so i appreciate you ending with that note um so thank you so much for speaking with us where can people find you if they want to know more about you
3: um we're not all over the place Uh, i mean (laughs) if you want to talk to us if you want to have a conversation um reach out to us you can find me on facebook my name's um emmanuel diaz what uh, is your
0: name? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, Emmanuel Diaz. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know my Twitter tag, tag or my Instagram tag. I don't know any of that stuff. Reach out to me on Facebook. Um, sorry, I don't have more information on that.
0: <laughs> Keeping it
2: classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Um, but my name's a little bit more unique, so you can probably find me on Facebook. It's Y I S H A Y. And then the last name is Valbuena. Um, but yeah, that's the only place where we are, but feel free to reach out.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Silenced American. Listen to future episodes to hear about other impacts DACA has in this season. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. If you'd
1: like to donate to helping undocumented community members in Utah, visit our website at thesilencedamerican.com and click the donate button. Thank you to 90.9 FM KRCL Community Radio for sharing their studio with us. And shout out to our audio producer, Peter Leda. Till next time.